Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the beauty of your creation, Lord, that we rose today to a world which which looks new. Lord, a world on which the dew is still fresh. Lord, thank you for the beauty of the flowers and of the grass and of the sky, for the song of the bird, Lord God, and just the, the blessing it is to be alive. And yet, Lord, despite the beauty of this morning, Lord, we know that all in this world is not beautiful, all is not good. Lord, and we know that is true even within us as well. And so we pray that you would speak to the dark places in us, Lord, to the places that have become hardened against you, the places we have sought to wall you out. Lord God, breathe your warm, enlivening breath, Lord, into our frozen hearts, Lord, and give us a pulse, a pulse which yearns for you. Speak to us today, Lord God. Speak to us through your mercy, through your love, through your truth, through your hope. And we pray that you would give me your words to preach to your people. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so spectacular to see you all on this lovely day. Well, uh, this is a book I used to read a lot to my kids and still occasionally sometimes they'll want to read it. It's called One Morning in Maine by Robert McCloskey. Anyone ever read this? Yeah, not a ton of people have read it, though. I've been surprised. I, this is one I just love because it's like, it's beauty and simplicity kind of like distilled down to its purest. It's just, you read this and you feel good, right? It's like this breath from the past that just feels so wonderful, like a, 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 like a, a blanket from your youth being wrapped inside of it. Uh, it's, it's an amazing story, and it begins with this girl named Sal. Right, and they are on an island in Maine, uh, and obviously it's set in the summertime, right? Because I don't think you would be talking about beauty and ease and pleasantness if it was Maine in the wintertime on an island. But so there, uh, Sal wakes up in the morning, and she, as she's brushing her teeth, her first adult, or her first tooth falls out, her first baby tooth falls out. And she is beside herself. She doesn't know what to do because she didn't know teeth fell off. Right, And so she's wondering what's wrong with her. Is she falling apart? Is the rest of her going to start falling off too? Right? What is going on? But then her mom teaches her about baby teeth and they have to make way for adult teeth. And then the rest of the story she goes through with that kind of internal wrestle going on with everything she encounters. Right? She sees a fish hawk and wonders, well, do fish hawks have teeth? Do they fall out? Do their teeth fall out? Uh, and a loon laughs at her when she slips on some seaweed. And so she thinks, do loons have baby teeth that come out? Or this seal that pops up in the ocean, does it have baby teeth that come out? That one, probably so. Uh, and then she sees, she's digging for, for clams and she's wondering, well, do clams have baby teeth that fall out? Right, and then they go over, they try to go to the harbor to go get some ice cream, and the motor on the boat doesn't work, so they have to row over there and take the motor into the shop. And in the shop, the mechanic goes through the motor and realizes the spark plug is bad, and he needs to replace it with another spark plug. And so she wonders, well, does the motor get a birthday, or a lost tooth wish for having lost its spark plug? Right? You know, the whole thing works around this idea of replacement because she sees in her world, in her life, how it works. So she's wondering how it intersects with everything else around her. It's just a beautiful story, right? 
and I love it. And they get the motor running, which is always a happy thing in my world. When the motor runs at the end of this of the story, it's one you have to cheer about. Well, in our case, the question is not how to re- replace a baby tooth or how to replace a spark plug. But the book of Acts presents us with the challenge of how does one replace an apostle? Right? Because you can't just go down to the apostolary and pick one of those up, can you? Right? You can't just go find them on a street corner. Oh, there's the next apostle. Bring him in. Right? Where did those first apostles come from? Who picked those? Jesus, right? And as you'll know that this passage comes after the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, so he's not there with them in person where he can just go and pick another one up. Right? They're wondering, what do we do? We've lost an apostle. Now, how do we get another one? And they're in this time of waiting. Time of waiting between the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we know happens next weekend, right? The day of Pentecost. And they're not sure what things are going to be like when the Holy Spirit comes. What's going to happen? How is it going to be? Will decisions like this be easier? What else is the Spirit going to call us to do? So they're in this time of waiting and prayer, contemplating what the future looks like for them. But in the absence of clear guidance, they did have one thing on their side, one powerful asset that could move them in a direction, that could help them make a decision. That asset we will call Simon Peter. Right? Peter, the Apostle Peter. He is something who would always make a decision. Right? And we know from Peter's history, his decisions aren't always right. But he will make one, nonetheless. Right? He is never afraid to make a decision. And so they had Peter on their side. And sometimes Peter is so good. And sometimes Peter is not so good. Right? But here we see... Peter standing up before this group of about 120 people, and he is good this time. Right? Because he says, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas. Oh, what do you know? Peter is on track again. Thanks be to God. Remember after Jesus's, like at Jesus's trial, he had abandoned The Lord, he had denied him three times. Then God brought him back and reconciled him. And here we see Peter at his best. And he is doing here what will become a hallmark of his ministry. Peter, what he does is he interprets current events through the lens of scripture and then uses that scripture to guide his decision making. Right? And so Peter, what he does does is he sees the situation with Judas and he says, Do the scriptures have anything to say about this? He goes through his Rolodex in his mind and realizes, yes, they do, in fact. Are there any kids who don't know what a Rolodex is? Do I have to explain that? Okay. Yeah, so a Rolodex was this thing back when uh, you didn't have cell phones, right, where you had to keep everyone's names and information. And it was cool because it had, like, the alphabet. And then you could go to that section and then open it up and have their contact information. It was super cool. Yeah. Super cool. There we go. <laughs> I know. It's a shame. Okay, so, um, so like for us, though, in our world, sometimes what we're prone to do is we look at our world and then we analyze Scripture according to our world. 
We say, well, this is how my experience in life is, so this scripture must be wrong. Right? It's not uncommon to do that. And so we write it the other way. But Peter, he says, okay, I see what's going on in the world. What does scripture have to say about that? So for him, his authority was not personal experience, but the word of God. And he used that to guide and direct his decision making, even if it was unpleasant for him or difficult for him. Okay, so um, Peter believes that Judas's death, remember Judas had hung himself after the, the trial and death of Jesus, is a fulfillment of what King David had foretold in the Psalms. Verse 20, which we don't have in our reading, but I'll read it for you, tells us, Let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. Peter interprets these quotes, which are coming from Psalm 69.25 and Psalm 109, verse 8, respectively, to be speaking about Judas. He believes these psalms to be speaking about Judas. In their context, they were speaking about the betrayal of one person by another. And so he interprets, through the guiding of the Holy Spirit, interprets that to be about Judas, whose place is now open, whose position as overseer is now open. So there's a slot that Peter believes God has opened up for someone else. According to Peter, these verses from the Old Testament lead him to conclude that the Lord knew what was going to happen with Judas and that he foretold before it ever happened through the mouth of David what the outcome would be, that another would take his position as overseer. With this in mind, the gathered community now can attempt to fill Judas's position. Okay, so they've got the idea, the mandate that they should fill it. How does one fill a position of apostle? How do you go about doing that? I mean, this is the first time anyone's ever done it. So how in the world do you do it? Well, they decide that an important factor would be that that person had been with them and with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry at his baptism by John at the Jordan River until his time of ascension to the right hand of the Father, which had just happened. They wanted somebody who had been with them the whole time. The passage tells us it should be one of the men who has accompanied us during all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So if you've ever wondered if there were more people than the 12 apostles with Jesus through his whole ministry, Aside from the crowds and all that, were there people who were with them all the time? We know that there were indeed. At least two more. And we presume much more. There were people who had followed him the whole time, walked in his footsteps through his entire ministry, and stayed and held fast to him. This passage tells us there were some who were there. Now, they, they put together, they put out two names. The first one, we'll call him Mr. Three Names, because he was named, he's Joseph, called Barsabbath, who was also known as Justice. How about that for a write-in candidate? (laughs) Right? Oh, which name do I put into this guy? And the other guy who was running on the short name platform is named Matthias. Matthias. Now, from these two, one will be chosen to be a witness with the other apostles of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean to be a witness? He saw it, right? This is like a court witness. Um, not that they're going to see what 
Jesus' resurrection. That had already taken place. But they were going to proclaim what they had seen. They were a witness. They were there to bear testimony to what had taken place. Okay, so apparently these two candidates, Joseph called Barsabbath, also known as Justice, and Matthias, were equally matched as candidates for this position. And the other apostles uh, and those 120 gathered there were not prepared to make a decision of one over the other because they both had, I guess, equal standing and equal merit for this position. And so what they did after setting these two apart, they put it in the Lord's hands through prayer and gambling. Gambling, yeah. That's right. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm gambling, I find it to be a deeply spiritual experience as well. (laughs) Right? There's nothing like putting money on the line to really bring out the deep prayer in your heart. (laughs) No, all jokes aside, right? Uh, They pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Show us which one. They are desiring to know the will of God. They are seeking after him. They want to know what God wants them to do. They want to know who God has set forward to be that apostle to fill that empty space. They want to know his will and his guidance. And so they roll the dice. They cast the lots and put it, his life in the hands of God. Now, this has a long biblical tradition, this like casting of lots. Aaron, the high priest and all high priests after him had two things, the Urim and the Thurim, that they would toss out there to discern, to make a decision between uh, whatever choice they had to make. I mean, we think it's kind of weird these days, but like that's how it operated. You come down to what are great options or valid options and you say, God, which one do you want? I've never personally tried that. Maybe I should next time. And we see that tradition carrying all the time now up to the apostles. They cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. The vacancy that had been left by Judas was filled and the full 12 apostles continued their time of waiting. They'd replaced that position. Now, sometimes that's easy. You know, like a spark spark plug, that's not no big deal. But sometimes it's very, very difficult to replace something. Now, interestingly, after this, after this replacement of um, Matthias for Judas... There's no more replacement of the apostles that we hear of in the Bible. Later on in the book of Acts, when James is killed, there's no counsel, there's no casting of lots, there's no choosing from someone who's been with us from the beginning. Instead, we just see people being lifted up by God and put forward and taking on a position, rather than them trying to maintain this number 12. We also see God pulling up apostles from other people, right? Like Paul or Barnabas, they are brought up as well. And James. So what does this story tell us? Well, I think there's three central themes in this um, process of choosing that the apostles go through and those other 120 gathered there. Three central themes. 
First, I believe it's important how Peter approaches the presenting situation by looking at it through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture. Peter understands the scriptures well enough that he can he can go back in his memory and look and see, is there a scripture that applies to this? That memory was the thing we had before Google. If you it's up there with Rolodexes too, right? He's able to go back through his memory and say, is there something that applies to this? And then filter that event through the lens of scripture. And come up with some guidance to get them on the right track. So that's the first and central thing. The second one is to find the best qualified people or option for the situation. Right? They say, what is essential to us? Well, let's choose someone who has been with us and Jesus from the beginning. And whoever that person is, if they're qualified, let's put them forward. They choose. They bring forward their best. And they give it to God. And then third, they put it in the hands of God. They do this through prayer and then ultimately putting the final decision in God's hands alone. Now, we might think that we'd never be in a position to make a decision on a leader like choosing one of the apostles. Right. We'd never have to make a choice like that. But we are going to, as a diocese, select our next bishop next year. Right. That apostolic succession has continued and is still active in our church. And we're going to be picking the next bishop by the grace of God. These same criteria should be going through our minds. What does scripture say? So we have our presenting challenge of choosing new bishop. Right? What does the scripture say about that? Well, we can look at the story from Acts. We can look at other places that tell us about how do we choose? What do we look for? We can look in the, the letters of Timothy where it talks about bishops. Right? What is, what are you looking for? What kind of leader does God, is God calling us to look for? What characteristics are non-negotiables? What ones are more peripheral? What should we be looking for in a new leader? And then we should be bringing forward the best that meet those criteria. And then we should entrust them to God. And challenge them to be a witness with us to Jesus' resurrection. But like one morning in Maine, replacement, or perhaps an even better term for it, maybe resurrection, right? resurrection manifests itself in different ways in our life. For Sal, she saw the story of her own tooth in events all around her world and tried to connect those things. How about for us? Where is this theme of resurrection present in our own lives? Where is God bringing death and where is he bringing life? Where is there an opening for the Lord to raise the dead in our own lives? Maybe it's in a career or it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in an attitude. Maybe it's in our hope or our dreams for a future. Maybe it's in our worldview or the way we see things. Maybe God is, or maybe it's in a community, right, or a nation. Where do we see God um, opening doors for bringing new life? Where do we see that? And when we see it, we should seek the scripture. What would God say about this? What is his guidance on this matter? And how can I follow him, bring the best to him, and then put it in his hands through prayer? And in all things, wherever we end up and wherever these, he guides us, 
As we move forward, may that situation that we have entrusted to him and indeed our lives as a whole be a witness with us to Jesus's resurrection. Each and every event that we commit to God that he brings new life and new hope in is a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so may we we proclaim his resurrection daily in our lives and proclaim the salvation of our Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being a God of resurrection. You are not a God, Lord, who our hope ends with the grave. You are a God who conquered death, Lord, and who offers us life in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord God, to entrust ourselves to him, to put ourselves in his hands, Lord, to to hang our hopes and our dreams upon his life. Lord God, we are in a world where we experience so much challenge, so much hardship, so much death, so much trouble. And Lord, yet... uh, The presence of death, the presence of challenge, the presence of trouble, Lord, the presence of failure, the presence of life, of loss, Lord, gives you room to work and to bring new hope, to bring new life and new fruit and new joy. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see our lives through the lens of your scripture, to analyze our circumstances according to your Bible, Lord. Give us a deepening, ever-deepening understanding of your word and help us to apply it to our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in peace, in mercy, in joy as we commit ourselves and all that we have to you. Lord, forgive us for where we fall short. Forgive us for our lack of trust and faith and help us to, to put our hope in you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.